Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Gills Talk podcast. Today, we have Gills Club scientist Ashley Novak. Ashley Novak is the research coordinator for the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy, so I get to have the privilege to interview one of my coworkers today here for this episode. In this interview with Ashley, she talks about her previous research experiences as well as her current research that is taking place at the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy. But she talks about in her undergrad experience about working with the sturgeon. And yes, the sturgeon is not a shark, but it is a type of fish. And it is a pretty cool fish if you don't know what this species is. I highly suggest pausing this podcast and then going a quick Google search to see these animals. They are incredibly old. They appear in our fossil record approximately 200 million years ago. So they are a very old fish, and there is estimated to be 26 species of sturgeon as well throughout the world. Some species of sturgeon can grow up to 12 feet in length, which is incredibly large for a bony fish. They are bottom feeders, and they do eat small fish and invertebrates that they find as they sift through the silt or sand in the bottom of rivers and oceans. So I did just want to give you a few facts about the sturgeon before we do jump into our interview today with Ashley because they are such a really cool fish, and I do suggest doing a Google search to see what they do look like here, either right now or after you listen to this episode with Ashley. So let's get started with our interview today. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Gills Talk podcast. Today, we have my lovely co-worker, Ashley Novak, to be able to learn about what research she's doing at the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy and as well as her past work. So welcome, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me, Kristen. Really excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you. I know we've been trying to get you on the podcast all summer season, so we finally made it in October. We're getting you on. (laughs) So before we get started, I haven't seen you since I heard that you were out on the boat yesterday and you finally got to see a white shark in the ocean. So please just explain your excitement and everything in detail. It was absolutely one of the best experiences ever captain josh higgins i got you know he's our eco tour operator and our captain and he took me out yesterday and i got to see seven white sharks and it was the just incredible i was like that like it just looks so different than what i've been seeing all summer because i've been flying the balloon and i see small purple smudges from 350 feet in the air and then having them be you know 15, 20 feet away from me is, was just incredible. And it puts everything, like all the work into uh, a different perspective and it makes it more personable and exciting. Oh, so much fun. Um, I'm so happy that you finally got to get out on the water and not see sharks just from a balloon. So since we're talking about the balloon, maybe people that are listening are saying, what is this balloon that they keep mentioning? So um, if you want to then get into and just talk about what your your current work is here at, at the Conservancy. Yeah, so I'm the research coordinator for the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy, and I have been here since March, and one of the main projects that I've been involved with is flying our balloon, or as we affectionately call it, the drone on the string. So it's a 12-foot helium balloon that has a drone camera system that's attached to the bottom of it, and we use the balloon to keep the system suspended up in the air for up to four to five hours at a time. So it gives us 
you know, a unique perspective, our eyes in the sky. Megan likes to call it, we're spying on sharks in a new way. So all of those things is, you know, we're trying, we're using this system to capture white shark near shore behavior. So what, what are they doing when they come close to shore? And we've gotten some really cool footage all summer and I'm really excited to start digging into it and analyzing it in the next few months. So. Sounds super exciting. Um, so for people that maybe do not follow the Conservancy or anything, as Ashley said, she is a newer hire of us. So it's been really excited to have her join our team and be able to expand on the research projects that we have going on. But what was your science life before the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy? Yeah, so I've had a, a bunch of different research experiences. Uh, starting from undergrad, I worked with Atlantic Sturgeon and I looked at their diet, their movement ecology as well. So I was working in the Saco River Estuary, which is in Southern Maine. And I was also characterizing their prey distribution within the, the river system. So looking at what they're eating, where their food is located in the river and if their movements are related to them. And so that was my undergraduate work, which Sturgeon will always have a special place in my heart. They're so cool. <laughs> they're, really, they're really cool. And, uh, and then I, I really liked studying the movement ecology of, of sturgeon. So I got a master's at UMass Amherst studying coral reef fish ecology. So my work was in St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands uh, in Buck Island Reef National Monument, which is one of the United States' oldest marine protected areas. It's a beautiful location. And I was really lucky to study a few different species while I was there. And then I most recently was a technical associate working um, at UMass Dartmouth. So looking at integrating some of that tagging data into stock assessment frameworks, as well as a, a mixed bag of, you know, a little bit of everything else along the way. I think with everyone, maybe if someone is listening to this and learning about your background, they're like, wow, so you worked with sturgeon, worked with coral reef fish, and now white sharks. So how do these previous experiences kind of prepare you for what your current research is right now? Yeah, I was thinking about, I was thinking about that a lot. I was like, how did I get so lucky? And like, <laughs> I feel like I ended up with everyone's like pie in the sky dream of like white sharks. And it's really, you know, for any, you know, early career listeners, it's really about the skills that you learn along the way. It's not necessarily the species that you study. And, you know, for the longest time, I thought when I was growing up that I would, you know, research big cats big cats always seemed so cool to me. And my dad was like, no, you have this opportunity to join a fish lab. Like, it's not about the species. It's about the skills and techniques that you learn. And I was like, okay. And that's like, you know, everyone has said that to me. And I think it's really important that it's just the skills that you learn and you can really transfer them anywhere. And I, you know, that's how I ended up with white sharks. And it was just a great position. And I, you know, I loved the research and the conservation and the public safety and the education, all of it combined really, you know, made the position appealing for me. It was not just white sharks. It was everything else going on and on the research side that really intrigued me as well. Mm -hmm. So you said that white sharks are usually that bucket list shark or that like pie in the sky shark for some people. So was that like once you kind of switched gears and you were like, eh, no more big cats. I want to work with ocean animals. Like was that then your pie in the sky shark or is there another shark that you still are like, oh, like one day if I had the chance, like I want to study this shark. I was, yeah, I've been thinking about that question too. Um, not necessarily. I'm not like, you know, if I had to pick, 
a, like a fish species, I would say sturgeon. Like I would love to work with sturgeon again. <laughs> but in terms of a shark species, I was, you know, I really like salmon sharks. They're, uh, yeah, they're very, they're related to white sharks, really closely related to poor beagles. Um, they're a West Coast, uh, North Pacific Ocean species, and they're just really cool. And I think working with them would be neat. <laughs> <laughs> they are a really cool shark and you'll see a lot of um like reports of fishermen on, on on the west coast that catch them and be like look at this baby great white or this juvenile great white that we caught and we're like oh it's a salmon shark and vice versa here on um the the, the east coast say people say well they they caught a baby white shark and it's just a poor beagle yeah <laughs> very similar but but a little different and yeah really interesting Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I think they're a really, they're a cool shark. And they're almost like a pink color, aren't they? Like the belly? Or am I like thinking wrong? Uh, Are they? I don't know. <laughs> Check. <laughs> well, they get their name from eating a lot of salmon. Yes, I knew that. But maybe I'm like, I'm dreaming this. But I thought that they, because they eat so much salmon, that like that color almost like... No, they're more speckly on the pool. They're speckly? Yeah. Okay. Maybe I, I, I was dreaming up that random fact there. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. So back to normal programming here and not f figuring out what salmon sharks look like in the wild. <laughs> See, that this is what happens. We're, we're, we're East Coast gals. We don't know what happens on the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> so when you are looking at your science or anything like that, so we know that your bucket list is either salmon sharks or sturgeon, your current work, or if it could be your past work that you had on, which challenges do you face as a scientist? Yeah, I guess whether as, as a field biologist, I'm not used to being a field biologist anymore. I'm just used to, you know, my previous work was just sitting on a computer and then like Wi-Fi issues were, um, yeah, I guess weather this summer has been a big challenge for us um flying the balloon has to be on really nice days with almost no wind and the water quality has to be really clear for us to be able to see and sometimes that's not always the case we've had a lot of quite a few storms roll through so the water hasn't been great even though it might be nice and clear and sunny out and the wind is low but the water isn't isn't great so it makes visibility quite challenging and that really hinders our ability to see anything um, and we're also we can see seals from the balloon and it's basically as soon as they dive down and their head isn't above water we can't see them anymore so we're like well we're never going to see a shark <laughs> and so weather has definitely been a challenge this summer it's been a kind of a weird summer but um yeah, we'll see what next summer brings and if the weather improves. Yeah, and I think even just like going off of challenges, I mean, just working with such like a large shark brings its own challenges as well, because you would think something so large, it's easy to see from a camera. But I mean, it's just like you said, sometimes I mean, they're, they're predators, they're creatures of stealth, they're, they don't want to be seen. <laughs> they don't. Yeah, no, I think, you know, we have equipment in the water. So one of our real time receivers is, you know, 500 feet or so offshore and we'll see pings on sharktivity but we can't see anything so it's kind of frustrating and it's like ah we know you're in the area and we know that they're just everywhere out there we just you know water quality isn't great um anything and you know any other number of reasons can impact how many sharks or if we see any sharks on a given day 
Yeah. And I mean, we even deal with that with our ecotourism programs. I'll be on the boat and we know that sharks are picking off the real time. And then Wayne or someone else is flying our spotter pilot and they're like, we can't find anything. We're like, what do you mean you can't find anything? Like there's two that just pinged off the real time. So. <laughs> yeah, they, they have a mind of their own. They don't want to be seen. Absolutely. And like I said, it just goes back to that predator self that they are you know they are they're doing what evolution has taught them and what they've learned throughout the many many millions of years that they've been around so they do know what they're doing maybe just a little bit <laughs> um so with with looking at your research and everything like that is there anything that is kind of coming up new maybe down the pipe the pipeline if it's looking at the balloon project or anything else that you're working on within these studies yeah, that's a really good question too. I think something that I want to work on at some point, and I know the data set that uh, we have as, as a conservancy and working with the, the state of Massachusetts, it's a really rich data set. And it's really interesting to see how individuals come back every year and usually, you know, sometimes occupy the same exact spots. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of my previous research working, I'll give one example with yellowtail snapper in the Caribbean, is that it's, I started to get into this a little bit with my master's, but it's a really, it's a, it's a budding area of research is looking at animal personalities mm -hmm. and how different individuals behave very differently. And, you know, they have their own agendas and they have their own daily routines that they follow. And I think that that is just it's so interesting to think about and it's really impactful of you know how it can shape their movement their foraging tactics you know a little difference in you know what they want to do that day can you know shape everything that else that happens and it's it's really interesting and i think that that is something that i would love to an area of you know behavioral ecology is something that like i would like to continue working on and i think that this data set would lend itself really well to that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I agree. I mean, we always talk about that with like the, in, the individual sharks. If it's like our team's favorite shark, well, most of it, mo most of our team's favorite shark is James, and like how um and so if anyone is not familiar what with what shark we are talking about, um, we have a really great resource on the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy's website, which is called the White Shark Logbook, where you can see our tagged sharks um through our tagging catalog, and James is on on there. But James was tagged back in 2014. Come back almost every single year and when he comes back he always has a new scar on him and we're always like what are you doing dude so like again it's like those little types of personalities where we know we're always going to see him off of chatham or monomoy island when then there's other sharks that you know we don't see there and they're in a completely different spot so it's just like you saying like being able to learn more about those personalities and their ecology and you know figuring out maybe why they're doing that would be really cool yeah, I'm really interested in that. And it probably would go beyond behavioral ecology into, mm -hmm. you know, genetics and, you know, our siblings alike are like these, you know, what it's, yeah, it's just a whole can of worms, but I think it would be a really awesome area of research to get into. Yeah. Shark siblings. Huh? Such fun things. I know. <laughs> um, so wait, so talking about fav favorite sharks, what is your favorite shark? Favorite shark? That is a tough question. I did a one of my school profiles was on the blue shark, and I've mm. always had like a little soft spot for blue sharks. I think they're just beautiful. Um, 
ah, but I don't like picking favorites. You know, I have two dogs and I don't like picking a favorite. (laughs) They're both my favorites. Yes, very much so. So then I probably then shouldn't ask you, do you have a favorite shark that you've helped ID? Ooh, also a really tough one. So as Kristen mentioned, we have a white shark catalog on our log books. We have over 500 individual white sharks that we have seen and identified with their unique coloration patterns. And I will say that probably my favorite is Marley. She has two sun, like basically it looks like Tatooine, like with the two suns coming up. And so that's on her two white spots on her caudal fin. And it's, she's a beautiful shark. And I think she, she, Marley should be up on, up on the logbook. So you can check out her, uh, her headshot and her profile. So I think she's probably my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, can you go into how we identify different types of white sharks? Um, When we had our staff scientist, Megan Winton on, um, oh gosh, probably, I think she's episode five or six on here. Um, I don't really think we got into how we identify them. So do you want to expand on that? Sure. Yeah. So as a research coordinator, one of my jobs is to process all of those underwater footage, uh, all the underwater footage that comes in to ID individual sharks. And so we use color uh, patterns on the gills, the pelvic fin region, as well as the counter shading, the caudal fin. And we also use coloration on the dorsal fin on what we call rosies. They're white dots on the dorsal fin, can be on either side, can only be on one side. And we also use the trailing edge. Mm -hmm. Trailing edge is kind of tough sometimes because you know some are little micro notches and you have to be really specific with um, how those line up. But sometimes there are big injuries which make an individual really easy to identify like James. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He comes back and we're like, okay, that's James. Like there's a, you know, part of his dorsal fin is missing. So it's a, you know, an easy one to ID. But we use all of those different things together. We don't like to use only one. We like to have a full set. So on both sides, because both sides are very different. So mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of data, but it's it ensures that we're characterizing only one unique individual. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just so cool that we are able to, well, I should say, not we, I don't do that part of the job, but that's so you and the research team is able just to identify over 500 sharks just by looking at GoPro video footage. And that's something that I love when I talk to community groups or school groups is that, you know, this research is that is really learning more about this population of white sharks here within the Northwest Atlantic that not many people know about. And we're doing this by items you're gathering from Home Depot and Walmart. And I'd always just love to say, like, science doesn't have to be so sciencey, and it doesn't have to be so complicated. Yes, with the population study, there's a lot of statistics and modeling that is way over my head. But when you're just, I mean, you're just looking at a GoPro video and playing pretty much like matching to between them and every other shark that's been recorded so far. Yeah, we're thinking about making a game, a matching (gasps) cards game with all of our sharks. Yeah, I I know. Get excited. (laughs) I can't wait. I did. I was not filled in on this idea and I can't. Oh, I'm backing this idea. up. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. So to round out the interview, Ashley, I would love to hear what advice you would give to your younger self starting out in this field. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to answering this question, Kristen. So um, <laughs> yeah, my biggest advice 
to anyone starting out in this field or anyone currently in this field, any level is to be okay with not being good at everything you try. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that's not only a really good life skill, but it's an also good like science skill. Like you don't like have to be good at everything you do in science. That's why we have collaborators. That's why there's other people that we work with to fill in our knowledge gaps or our expertise gaps that we're not, we can't devote a lot of time to. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think, you know, in today's world, we're used to seeing only the, you know, the perfect scientist that like succeeds in everything. And that is good at everything they try. They can be tossed into a genetics lab and they're fantastic. They can go into photo ID and they're also fantastic. But in reality, like some things and some things you try might just not click. And it is coming from personal experience and like, yeah, I would say it's okay to not be good at everything you try in science and it mm -hmm. doesn't make you any less of a scientist. It just makes you a human being that you're, you know, you're not good at everything you try and that's okay. And it's really hard to accept that sometimes and have a, have a tough conversation, but I think it's really important to, to remember. Absolutely. And I think that advice can cross paths over with anything that anyone's doing. If someone's just li li listening here that just like sharks and wants to learn more about research, but they work in the medical field or, you know, working with land animals or if you're in construction or whatever you do within your life, you know, that, you know, that that is an advice that is going to cross paths with anyone and um, and with anything that they're doing. So I think that was great advice. So yeah. Thank you so much for sharing those little nuggets of information. <laughs> you welcome. I hope yes. it helps someone out because it would have been great for me a few years ago to be like, you're okay. Like you don't have to be good at everything. Like you've tried and like you gave it your best shot and like mm -hmm. you're human. Like you have a place in science, even if it's not where you thought it was. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that like, I wish I would have kept telling myself, especially in college. Um, I, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Like I failed calc, calc two the first time around, like math and E just didn't click. It's not perfect at it. And that was something that I beat myself on because there were some professors in college that were like, if you can't master math, like you're not gonna make it in the science world. And I was like, no, I'm gonna fail. <laughs> but you know, like if I would've just had someone be like, it's okay, but um. Exactly. And look at how many people you're inspiring and you're getting to connect with and like share science with. And like, it is, you know, it's amazing what you can do with, you know, in, there's so many different avenues in science that you can go down and be an incredible scientist. And it doesn't have to be just being good at math <laughs> or being good at genetics or being good at, you know, anything else, you know, there's, there's a place for you in science. So before I do let you go, then, Ashley, is there any social media that people can follow you on to keep up with your work? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H-J, as in jam, Novak, N-O-V-A-K. Perfect. Well, for anyone listening, go give Ashley a follow. She is a good follow. She'll be able to tweet out any of those new research things that she is working on, any fun findings as well. So go give her a shout out. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Kristen. It was awesome. It was really great to be able to sit down and talk to Ashley more about her research and all the exciting things that she is able to do here within the research side of the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy. Even though we are co-workers, I am more on the education and outreach side. So it was really cool to be able to sit down and hear a little bit about 
her work and her work with the Balloon Project as well. Again, if you would like to go follow Ashley, you can go follow her on Twitter at Ashley J. Novak, A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H-J-N-O-V-A-K. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Gills Talk podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review. And as always, remember to stay curious, stay inspired, and always learn. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye, everyone.